Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, our first podcast after the Christmas break. So of course, I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas break or if you don't necessarily celebrate Christmas, I hope you enjoy the holiday season thus far. And it's the final episode of 2020. So of course, if you are watching this episode just after 2020, then hopefully in the time that you are watching this episode, the world is a much better place than it is right now. But I digress. My name is Adam. Once again, I am one of your hosts for this episode and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, first things first, how was your Christmas? Did you have a good time? Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, I made the best of this Christmas that I possibly could. I can't complain. And you uh, you hit my sentiments with uh, what you just said there completely. Looking forward to what is hopefully a much better 2021. Yeah, I usually have a reputation on this podcast for stealing your lines at the most inappropriate moments. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a habit I'm not going to be able to shake off, Courtney. So I do apologise. But, uh, yeah, no, great to I'll hear forgive you. forgive you, it's all right. <laughs> I know. Um, no, great to hear that you uh, had a good day. Um, did you do anything particular on Christmas morning other than the uh, usual traditions? Um, I Yeah, when you talk about the usual traditions, it usually is just eating, eating more eating, a little bit of drinking, then a bit more eating, then sleep. Sounds Interesting, are that's <laughs> uh, absolutely fine. I did pretty, I was pretty much the same, um, although I managed to fit in Die Hard 1 and 2 in the evening. Oh, of course you did. Exactly. <laughs> well, for those of you that follow me on Instagram will know that I was exactly doing that, and uh, I did not let you down, guys. I always do exactly what I was saying I'm going to do, and in this case, I... Pretty much enjoyed watching Die Hard, the best Christmas film ever. There's no debate on that one. But as I said, I digress. So the, let's get into the meat of this episode, the final episode of 2020 on the DNF1 F1 podcast. And uh, for, to make a change, um, usually I'm the one usually presenting and directing the conversation. But this episode, as it's the final one of our first year doing the DNF1 F1 podcast, I figured it'd be a good opportunity to let my co-host Courtney um, live up to his title and uh, take the reins on this episode so Courtney I'm going to hand over to you to direct the main talking points that we're going to no pressure for this final episode I'm sure you'll do absolutely fine and who knows do a better job than me I might uh let's make this a permanent thing maybe no pressure again <laughs> right let's get into this let's get into this so we thought this would be the perfect opportunity to discuss what exactly do we have to look forward to in 2021 and let's start at the top let's talk about the main men in Formula One at the moment and they are Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and the biggest question that most Formula One fans will be asking at the moment is will Red Bull catch up to 
Mercedes and give us the battle that most of us Formula Funds are, Formula One fans are looking forward to, which is a potential battle between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. As we see online, as we see in the general Formula One community, there's a big debate whether Lewis's success is down to the car or whether it's down to his ability. And there are a lot of fans that do believe that Max Verstappen could give Lewis a real challenge if they have similar machinery. So let's ask the question to you, Adam. Will Red Bull catch up to Mercedes? And if they are on a similar level, will Max Verstappen give Lewis the challenge that F1 fans are hoping for? Well, first things first, Courtney. I mean, guys, how good was that? You know, that was the first time Courtney nailed it. So uh, well done, Colt. Um, yeah, no, in answers to the question, um, I certainly hope that Red Bull can certainly make gains on Mercedes. I don't believe that they are going to be on par with them pace-wise. Um, it's disappointing in a way because, the, you know, this time in testing for the 2020 season, I was very openly vocal on this podcast in saying that I believe that Red Bull were at least within a fraction of a, a quarter of a second off the ultimate pace of the Mercedes, especially in Max Verstappen's high, uh, hands. The testing pace did seem to suggest that he set the fastest time in testing on the final day. And it, and it was on a harder compound of tyres than what the Mercedes set the time was. So all the signs were suggesting that Mercedes were going to have a fight, at least from the Red Bull guys. Um, little did we know that Ferrari were going to be languishing as far back as they did. But um, this season, no, I, I don't expect Mercedes to be worried too much about the Red Bull. I think they will be more concerned for a few reasons. One, I think Red Bull will make gains because I feel like towards the end of this season, they've understood their car a lot better. And as I said, there's a lot of carryover into the 2021 cars from the 2020 season. A lot of stuff's being frozen in terms of development. And I believe that Red Bull might be able to find a lot more gains than Mercedes will, considering how far Mercedes have gone. And let's not forget the removal of the DAS system. So Mercedes will have to be used to running their car without that. So we don't know how much of a deficit that will give them, but I'm sure it will give them some level. And let's not forget, Max Verstappen will have Sergio Perez alongside him. And whilst Sergio will have to get used to the, this car, it's not going to be an easy car to work with. Some say probably the most difficult car to get, to learn how to drive, not necessarily to drive, but the most difficult one to learn. Um, you know, Perez may be a bit slower from the get-go, but over time he will become more of a factor and more of a concern than Mercedes team. And I think Max Verstappen... Um, you know, reeling off the year that he had, he had a fantastic season uh, this season. All things considered, you know, people regarded him as the third wheel in this championship. He, he himself uh, quite hilariously took that third place seat um, during a press conference, uh, one of the last Grand Prix, to sort of as a joke, really, to how his season has been. But otherwise, his form has been superb. He's always been in the top three when he's avoided an incident on the first lap, with the exception, I think, of Turkey. So, I'm hoping the deficit will be a lot smaller. I think it will be smaller. Do I think it's enough for Max to really challenge for the title next season? I'm going to hope so. But I still think Lewis Hamilton is the very heavy favourite to win his eighth world championship, which is obviously an unprecedented amount. But uh, yeah, I would say the status quo. But I think Red Bull will be much closer next season. You know what? I can't really argue with that. Um... I really do hope that it is closer. Um, as I said, I think a lot of the fans are looking forward to this, potentially. Um, but I must say, Adam, I'm pleased you mentioned Sergio Perez because that leads me on to the next question. And that is, what kind of role will Sergio Perez play at Red Bull next, um, at Red Bull next season? 
we discussed this in a previous episode. Um, if you've watched it, do give it a watch. But this is something I'm particularly curious about. Okay, at Red Bull, there usually has been a clear number one driver. We saw it with Seb and we've now seen it with Max. But unlike the other drivers that since Daniel left that Max has been teammates with, Sergio Perez is an experienced driver, a more than competent driver. He now has a race win under his belt, so he's going to be hungry for more. Will Sergio Perez be a Bottas-style driver, be a clear number two to back the team to help Red Bull strategically? Or will he be hungry to really challenge Max Verstappen for that number one spot at Red Bull and cause fireworks in the team? Well, yeah, that's a really good point. And uh, it's an interesting thing to consider, um, given that we're going to be used to seeing um, Red Bull's strongest lineup that they've ever had since um, Ricardo and Verstappen, or maybe even Weber and Vettel. It might be even stronger than the Ricardo Verstappen one. We'll have to wait and see. But um, Sergio Perez is a guy that throughout his Formula One career has never really played to the number one, number two driver mantra. Everywhere he's been, He's always wanted to operate on an equal playing field. Perhaps the only exception to that is when he was at McLaren that one season alongside Jensen Button. And even then, he wasn't exactly living up to the number two driver. And it's important to consider that the hardest thing, in my opinion, for any Formula One team to have to deal with is to manage two very quick and competitive drivers in the same team on an equal status. There always seems to have to need, oh, sorry. I believe that always needs to have a number one and a number two driver, and it needs to be made known to the drivers who that is. Whether that number two driver likes it or not or accepts it, I feel like that has to be the norm. And Red Bull, you could argue over the last two seasons, have had a number one and a number two. And I think that's been made clear to them. And whilst the difficulties that have presented themselves with uh, Pierre Gasly's form before he was demoted to Alpha Tauri. And then, of course, Alex Albon this season, where it is only until the very last race of the season where we really started to see Alex show his true pace and performance. You know, Red Bull would have appreciated the fact that they had this harmonious relationship between their drivers, or at least a lot more than they used to. But at the same time, I don't feel that Sergio Perez is going to come to this Red Bull team with the mindset of settling to be a second fiddle to Max Verstappen. And I don't think Red Bull will want Sergio to no, be that I way. Agree. Whilst they might set him out to drive as a rear gunner, or they have the expectations that he's going to be a more reliable rear gunner to Max and fight the Mercedes with two cars rather than one, I feel that Sergio will come to Red Bull, not to ruffle feathers or to cause chaos. Red Bull would have strongly considered this. And, you know, they would have much preferred a more harmonious lineup with a slower driver than a quick driver like Perez that causes chaos within the team. That That's for sure. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does. I think Perez, as I said already, it will take him a while to get used to this car. But he's a very solid, more rounded driver and certainly a better, more complete driver than he was in 2013 at the McLaren when he had his, uh, say, last big opportunity. And the McLaren was on the decline as well. So it's hard to gauge where, uh, you know, Sergio would have been if the McLaren was much more competitive, along with the Ferraris, the Red Bulls and the Mercedes at the time. So it will be very interesting. I think Sergio will definitely Mm. be up there. But I believe that perhaps in this first season, 
we will see Perez come more to the fore towards the second half as he sort of understands his car better. And I think Red Bull have made the right choice in keeping Perez. I don't think this is a publicity stunt. I don't think this is one of those where they were desperate to make a signing as they have been through the uh, Alpha Tauri team the last couple of seasons. I think this is a really good signing and I'm really looking forward to seeing how Perez not only can help Red Bull, but also see how he fares against Max Verstappen. I think that's a battle that I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing. Hopefully for them, it won't end up with uh, them two having crashes as Red Bull have had to deal with in the past when teammates don't necessarily get along. So, yeah, certainly one to look forward to. Yeah, you know what, Adam? You, you did. You made some really good points there. Uh, because we haven't really seen Max free challenge since um, Danny Rick left. Um, and as I said about crashes, we saw that occur hmm. uh, on well, quite a few occasions. I don't think Red Bull would have been very happy with that. But um, that's the thing. I think with Sergio Perez... We really don't know what we're going to be getting because he isn't. He isn't going to. He isn't going to be a submissive, a submissive driver. As you said, we've seen it in the past. He's not that Wayne Klein. He's got a massive following in Mexico, so he's going to have a lot of confidence from that. I, I just think it really has made the top of the grid a lot more interesting than we previously would have thought. Mm. And that's um, going to be good. You mentioned Paul, yeah. his. Um, yeah. Exactly. We need this. We need this because has been boring at the front as much as I've loved it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned McLaren, actually, because that goes on to my next point. Now, this is something for me that I'm personally looking forward to more than anything else. And this is a possible resurgence of McLaren. Now, some of the younger fans out there might not be aware, but McLaren were at the front or in and around the front not very long ago. You know, when Lewis Hamilton won in 2008, he could have won in 2007. And up until... Shall we say around the time you just said Adam in 2013 when Perez when Perez was at McLaren and with the big regulation changes with the V6 turbos, McLaren took a nosedive and they were pretty much towards the bottom. But we have seen a resurgence in McLaren with changes at the top, with a good with a good um, dynamic with Lando and Carlos Sainz, and there are a lot of things to look forward to for McLaren. You know, we'll we'll, we'll talk through this. You know, for example, the driver lineup the engine, as I said, the, the change in the management. This could be a very, very exciting uh, season for McLaren fans, F1 fans. We're having Daniel and Norris together. Where would you place McLaren on the grid for not only the start, but for the development going through the season? Well, next year is going to be an interesting season for development for every single team, perhaps with the exception of Mercedes, given that they would have started development on their 2021 car a lot earlier than some of the other teams did because of the margin that they had in their pocket. But um, as for McLaren, as you mentioned, for a lot of good reasons, this third place in the Constructors' Championship was absolutely massive. I mean, considering where they were at the start of the turbo start of the turbo hybrid era they completely fell down the order obviously they came back with honda that partnership was renewed in 2015 it seemed for all the world that were they going to relive the glory days back in the uh, late 80s early 90s under senna and prost in particular obviously that never happened it was a massive struggle uh, up until the end of that partnership and it, it's it's shown this year that mclaren ultimately it's taken them a while, but they have managed to find ways to alleviate the weaknesses in their car and get to a point now where they are not only competing for podiums, but on the odd occasion, they have been in contention to try and see if they could be an outside winner. They had that chance in uh, Sakir. Obviously, Carlos Sainz getting second place 
at the Italian Grand Prix a race he still believes that he could have won that race and perhaps another few more laps than he would have done. I reckon he could have too, yeah. Absolutely. And there's a lot of positive signs at McLaren. There's a lot of personal changes, as you mentioned. Obviously, Andrea Settle now running the day-to-day team operations. Of course, Zach Brown at the helm of the whole project, who it can't be understated the work that Zach Brown has put into this team, the patience. I mean, this is not a guy that's particularly a Formula One guy, but as all great bosses do, even when they don't know or expertise in certain areas, they employ the correct people that do have that knowledge and put that trust and responsibility in them to get them right. And Andrea Settle, as I said, one of the best in motorsport, not just Formula One. You know, a guy coming from outside Formula One has won championships in World Endurance Series. He knows he's racing, you know, and he's done a great job there so far. James Key, you know, a chief designer that they nabbed over from uh, what is Alpha Tauri now, a few years back they're finally starting to see the benefits of his work and i feel that that's going to continue to progress as mclaren try to get rid of more weaknesses with their car the mercedes engine you've already mentioned this is this is going to be a big factor for them because the renault engine when they got that a few years back um you know it exposed a lot of the flaws in the mclaren car because for a long time mclaren were quite adamant that they had a very good car it's just their engine was terrible in the way that ferrari kind of feel at the moment and obviously we'll have to keep an eye on what they do but you know when that happened McLaren realized there was a lot going on in their car that didn't really give it much reason to be happy of course it drove Fernando Alonso to consider a retirement which he did obviously until this season when he's coming back I don't think if McLaren had the car they had now in 2018 and a Mercedes engine on the way I don't think Fernando would be very quick to leave the sport I think he'd want to stay so, mm, you know, Lando will get the benefit of that. Daniel Ricciardo coming in, a driver who, with immense pedigree, was fantastic for Renault. In my opinion, probably had his best season in Formula One. And I think that's going to go from strength to strength for McLaren. I think he's very much looking forward to joining this team in a way that perhaps Carlos Sainz might be a little bit regretful about leaving McLaren in the position that he is. Yeah. But um, as where it I feel... Must be, yeah. It must be... I'd love to know what Carlos Sainz is thinking right now because I have no doubt that Ferrari are going to make a big resurgence. There's a lot of talk about their engine, which I'm sure you're aware. And I'm going to mm. I'm gonna leave that over to you and we go back to that in a moment because if you don't know, Adam is like the encyclopedia of Ferrari F1. He's, he's, he's smashing. So if you need to know anything about Ferrari F1, this is the guy to speak to. So I'm definitely going to come back to you on that one, but going back to McLaren quickly, mm. I just feel they've got so much going for them at the moment in terms of on on the clear motorsport perspective. They've got the PR. I mean, I'm, it might sound stupid, but PR is a massive thing for Formula One because at the end of the day, it's a business, and it just seems that I've, I've noticed the support of McLaren has been going up and up and up the past couple of seasons, and having Two drivers like Danny Ricciardo and Lando Norris that not only are have bring great entertainment value to Formula One, they are both fast drivers. They're not a pair of jokers. Mm. And I just feel that they're going to be gaining more and more support. And I don't know, as black and white as it may sound, with PR comes money, and that can only benefit McLaren going forward. So if they keep all these factors going together... I think, oh, I, don't, I don't want to jinx it, but I think they could be getting towards the front in the coming years. I think a lot of people hope so too. But yeah, uh, no, let's go right, back yeah. to your team, Adam. Well, this, this, let's on, go back on to McLaren, your team, no, Adam. 
on McLaren, I mean, we, right. we've talked about Ferrari a lot. I'm sure people won't mind us talking about McLaren a little bit more. With this, <laughs> I was you know, going to give you that. I was yeah. going to give you that. I, you know, Adam, I respect that. I respect that you're going to put your passion aside for once and go back to another I, team. I like that. I think anyone who's been an avid listener on this podcast, and if you have, thank you so much, because it's been an incredible year for us, and we absolutely love you guys for following and tuning into this. We really do. But, you know, Ferrari gets so much airtime on this podcast and in a way i feel like that's i'm partly responsible for that i'm sorry they're one of the the biggest team in formula one i'm partisan to support them you know they're a big talking point especially this season just gone if ferrari were doing Uh, what we expected ferrari to do we probably wouldn't cover half as much as we have done yeah but we wouldn't cover them half as much as we have done i think it's because of how bad it's been that it's a big talking point you know it's like the the goliath of formula one has fallen and he's struggling to get up he can't get up but you know, I mean, on McLaren, let's, you know, just finish off with them briefly. Um, yeah. You mentioned the revenue. Now, this is a big thing because coming third in the Constructors' Championship, of course, you know, it's a lot more money in the pocket of these teams. And it is, it can't be understated how important this is to a lot of the teams. Even Ferrari, it's important, even though they make as much as they do. But it is important to get as much revenue as you can in Formula 1. McLaren despite a lot of people feeling that they are a massive team, and they are a massive team, let's not forget that their history, you know, precedes themselves. They're revered for that. But, you know, that they are a private team and they do require financial investment from their stake, from their shareholders, I should say. They've got, they've recently signed that deal in Bahrain after the Bahrain Grand Prix with the American firm to buy a, a, quite a large stake in the company, share, a shareholdings and, you know, that's always a big thing. And of course, getting the results that they got is always going to help it as well to attract new investors. You know, there was a time a few years ago where their Bahrainian based investors, where they do a lot of their testing, um, were not happy about the direction the team was going or were considering reducing funding or pulling out altogether. So for McLaren to go through the phase that they have and to get the results that they have will only serve them so well going forward in the future. Do I think they are going to be challenging Red Bull and Mercedes in particular next season. No, I don't think they will. I think they will be closer, as I said, you know, cliche as it sounds, I think they will be a bit closer to the to winning races than they have been before. I think McLaren's target next season, and I'm sure a lot of people will probably agree with this, is to defend that third place. And I think the same yeah. teams are going to be the big threats to them. I think, you know, Aston Martin are going to be strong. We know they're going to be strong. I expect Ferrari to be probably the leading challenger of those midfield teams uh, as much as it pains me to call Ferrari midfield team I think Ferrari will be the leading challenger they obviously they've got the new engine that they're talking about and obviously the revised aero package to their car that we'll talk a little bit more later but um, towards the end of the season if McLaren can keep up their development path and bear in mind a lot of the focus if not all of it is going to shift to 2022 I would not be surprised if any team that's got it wrong not to a massive degree, but wrong to a point where they feel that is there a tangible gain of continuing to develop this car will switch their attention to 2022. I'd be surprised if not every single team has switched their attention to 2022 cars fully, um, you know, because the overlap with development on both cars usually is the norm. But with these cars being such a significance, I'd be very surprised if the attention wasn't switched before the summer break. Um McLaren have got a great chance to hold on to that third place. I don't believe they had the third fastest car for some time. No, 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 no. no. But a, a lot of circuits, they were able to maximise what advantages they had better than other teams did. And at the circuits where they weren't so great, they managed to minimise the pain that they suffered. And I think if they can continue to do that, and I think in Ricardo 
and Norris, they will do so with Norris continuing to improve uh, at the rate he has been and Ricardo, you know, driving the way that he is. I- I've got every faith in McLaren to stay third next season, but it will be tough. And I think if anyone's going to stop them, I think Ferrari will be the team that will stop them with Sainz and Leclerc. Yeah, I think that's a perfect time to uh, go to Ferrari. Usually, Adam, when one of us goes on a rant, we usually uh, usually say back to George for those who listen regularly. We go, <laughs> yeah, back to George. But instead of saying back to George, we're going to go back to Sainz. Now, we've just briefly mentioned Ferrari. I think Ferrari could be, my the pun, I think Ferrari could be the dark horses next season. I think there's they've played down expectation because that's where Ferrari have gone wrong a lot in the past. Um, they've got a lot of pressure on them. I've said it a million times on this podcast, they're like a national institution and they're very much, I've, I believe they buckle under the pressure they're put under. And I feel they've taken on a new strategy at Ferrari, which I think could bode well for them where they're underplaying the performance. Now, I've heard a few whispers that Ferrari have made massive gains on their engine. Now, I know it was awful last season, so that's not difficult. But there's a lot of talk about um, Ferrari making big gains with the engine. And I don't know about you, Adam, but I think they could be at least spearheading the midfield next season. I've got high hopes in them on a personal level. Um, but I do. I, I reckon they could be higher than a lot of fans might expect them to be next season. What do you reckon? It's always hard to tell when where Ferrari are in terms of the pecking order when testing comes around. I mean, for the last couple of years, Ferrari have been going toe-to-toe with Mercedes. And I remember back in 2017 when they had the brand new car come out, when the rules were changed, Ferrari were going toe-to-toe with the Mercs. Uh, it's sometimes faster in testing. And a lot of people were saying the same old thing, that Ferrari are, sand- uh, Ferrari are going a bit faster than they probably should be. Their cars are a bit lighter. Mercedes are sandbagging. When Melbourne comes around, we'll see the proper pecking order. and Ferrari will probably slot in behind Mercedes and in, in front of Red Bull. And then, of course, in that race, Sebastian Wettel won the first race of the season. 2018, it was the same sort of pattern. And Ferrari went toe-to-toe with Mercedes for most of the year. The last year... Um, Ferrari were well off the pace and it was the other way around. People thought Ferrari were sandbagging themselves and obviously we found out that that was Ferrari's true pace, which was a shame. But since the investigation on the legality of their engine, um, which we still don't know the finer details of, suggested or implied that Ferrari were in breach of the regulations in terms of liquid or oil burning, Ferrari's engine that they ended up producing to make it legal for 2020 was very much the rush job. And the car that they had made with more downforce and drag as a result, um, you know, to combat the lack of cornering speeds that they suffered in 2019, they didn't have the engine to match that because the engine was where the car was designed around having that engine to compensate for the drag. So obviously they had that issue with Ferrari this season. You've mentioned already about the upgrades that they're going to make. Um, Alda Costa has already mentioned that, you know, one of the designers has already mentioned that the focus is going to be to improve the rear of the car to give it more stability, but in turn will allow it to be more aerodynamically efficient at the front of the car. So it's a two-way street. You know, Ferrari are combating their biggest weaknesses uh, where they can, because of course development is limited for this season, and of course they're going to be working on the engine too, which. They're calling projects super fast. It's around 30 brake horsepower Ferrari are claiming. It might be more, it might be less, but the whispers coming out suggest that Ferrari are pretty happy with the development on this engine. Matti Bonotto has been overseeing a lot of this towards the latter end of last season, which clearly suggests that 
Ferrari really need to make sure they get this right and they need to have everyone involved. And Matteo Bonotto as a team principal, the, the, the jury's still out on his effectiveness. But as a technical developer, he has been central to the improvements Ferrari have made in their performance between 2014 to 2018, if you like, 19 a bit down. But, you know, talking about Ferrari um, in terms of the management, Obviously, I don't know if you noticed or saw Courtney recently. They announced that Louis Camilleri, one of the uh, co-CEOs of Ferrari, had stepped down from his position owing to personal reasons. I'm not sure if that's related to his health, etc. If it is, hopefully he's doing okay. But Louis was very much, um, you know, he wasn't the sort of uh, leader like Sergio Marchionne was. Obviously, Louis yeah. Camilleri and John Elkin, who stayed on now as the uh, out-and-out CEO at Ferrari, running the operations of the team, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Louis was very much uh, one of the friendly figures in the paddock. He operated in a different way to Sergio. He wasn't as bullish. He wasn't as in-your-face. He was very much a, a, an arm-round-the-shoulder kind of uh, senior manager. And gave a lot of trust to Matteo Bonotto. You know, there was a working synergy between the two that was working at Ferrari, but it was a long process. A Ferrari targeted that their car would be competitive in 2022 to try and win races in world championships. And I still believe that's still the target for them. Mm. To lose Louis Camilleri, no. it, it's going to be a hard thing for Ferrari to deal with. So we'll have to wait and see what they do. Uh, there's some good things and some not so good things, but hopefully will uh, find out in testing that they will have made some gains. Okay, I'm going to ask you something. Now, this is something that I've believed, I've kind of believed about Ferrari for a while. Now, nothing against the previous management at Ferrari, but I'm going to ask you something here. As we know, Ferrari are very much Italian-blooded team, and I, I do believe sometimes that has been to their detriment, given the pressure they've come under. Do you feel that a little bit more of a non-Italian influence at the very top could benefit Ferrari in the long term? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ferrari's biggest problem in times when they've struggled is that senior management, uh, and I'm not just talking about Ferrari, I'm talking about the Fiat company, the partnership that they have um, that yeah. oversees it, which has seen faces like um, Arriva Bene, Marisa Arriva Bene coming from there to Ferrari as an example. Um, sometimes they've been too involved and they've not allowed Ferrari to really work as the team, uh, the Formula One team, just to get on with what they're doing. You know, there's been too much micromanagement, if you like, which has come to Ferrari's detriment. And that's usually been the case for a long time. Um, you know, it, it's happened a, a lot more since the holy trinity of Schumacher, Braun and Todd had stepped away from the Ferrari team in the, in the late 2000s. And, you know, when Sebastian Vettel signed for Ferrari, it was that micromanagement element that not in, didn't entice Vettel to come to Ferrari. He wanted to come um, for the other reason. You know, Matteo um, Matiachi was one of the guys that signed Vettel and he was sacked almost before Vettel had got into a Ferrari, which obviously set the tone for a difficult period. Um, it, yeah, from my perspective, I think, you know, Louis Camilleri and John Elkin in particular have done good things at Ferrari in terms of how they've managed things. They've let the team get on with stuff. And whilst there's still a lot of work to be getting on, they have the utmost confidence in Matteo Binotto to get this right. And I do too, as a Ferrari fan, you know, I think a lot of people have been making jokes at his expense and giving the guy a hard time, but this is not an easy thing to do. And Arriva Bene was a good boss at Ferrari in terms of being able to extract the absolute maximum from the car and get the team to get that right. 
but sometimes perhaps they pushed a bit too hard. And as you saw from development, Ferrari pushed very, very hard, particularly in 2017 towards the latter end. And it ultimately cost them with reliability. I mean, let's not forget, if you look at the 2020 championship as well of Ferrari, um, they really only had one car. You know, Sebastian Vettel really struggled with this car and didn't really score that many points with the exception of Turkey when he got that brilliant podium, which he deserved. You know, he was fantastic on that day. But we never got to see that Sebastian Vettel more often. And I think if you could argue that if Carlos Sainz had been driving that car a year earlier and putting similar performances to what he did in the McLaren, Ferrari probably would have come third in the Constructors' Championship anyway. So there's reason to be hopeful yeah, for Ferrari. That, really. there, there's reason to be hopeful with Ferrari. And I just feel that... With senior management, mm-hmm. I feel like it set the right tone now. But as I said, post Louis Camilleri, John Elkin's going to have to be a bit more hands-on than he would have liked because he handles more the business avenues. Hopefully for him, you know, he'll manage to let Matty Bonotto, you know, and Lauren Meeks and, you know, Rory Byrne, out of the cost, all of the big figureheads at Ferrari, just get on with their tasks and try to bring the Scuderia back to where we all know that they belong. But... I would say if if I was offered third in the constructors championship this season for Ferrari, I would absolutely take it and consider that a success. Yeah, you know what? I think yeah, you're spot on there. I think obviously Emmy for the championship would be too much to ask possibly at this point, but I do. I have I have high hopes for uh, for Ferrari given compared to where they were last season. We're going to stick with the Ferrari theme, though, Adam. And we're going to look forward to a Schumacher returning to Formula One in the shape mm. of Michael's son, Mick. Um, very exciting. I think he's going to bring an element of positivity to a team like Haas. I'd, I'd rather not mention the other situation at Haas. Um, mm. I think he's going to bring something to that team. I think Haas have lacked an identity lately. And I think he's going to give them something. I think a lot of fans are going to be hoping that he does well. But with Mick, it's an interesting one. I think a lot of the negative people or haters, shall we say, will have this kind of notion that Mick is there because he is Michael Schumacher's son. Very easy to put that out there. Um, if you have your opinions, feel free to leave them. If, about any of these points you made, actually, like feel free to leave them in the comment section. We really do value what you what you have to say, and we do tend to. Uh, reply so please free feel, please feel free to engage with us we do love doing it but it's an interesting one because yeah it's easy to say he's got there because of his name but we've actually we've carrying a name and we've seen in the past with um, sons of drivers well with, with that does come a lot of pressure and I don't know about you Adam but I just I feel that it's going to be very interesting for Mick is he going to Buckle under that pressure of being Michael's son? Or is he going to start writing his own stories? Well, I think Mick has already been writing his own stories in his junior career. I mean, for anyone that still believes that Mick Schumacher is only in Formula One because of who his father is, clearly has not been following this young man's career. And, you know, with all due respect, Mick is the reigning F2 champion. You know, so by proxy of winning that title... You, you know, you, you've earned your opportunity in Formula One. Literally, there's no division that you can be put into to satisfy his next level of development other than Formula One. It, it makes so many sense. So, you know, you look at Mick's junior career resume and when you stack it up to other junior dri- other drivers that have come through currently in Formula One, 
his is up there with some of the best that we've ever seen. And, you know, he's won the Formula 3 championship. He's won F2 now. Of course, he's had some sessions in, uh, he's had a session in Formula 1 and he did the young driver's test and he looked all right. You know, that this is a big story for Formula 1. I mean, it's, it's going to be 30 years to the day that his father, Michael, made his debut at Spa in the Jordan team. You know, it's a huge story. The next chapter of the Schumacher story is written by the son after so much history written by the father. And it's so good to have Schumacher back on the grid. I mean, I've been following Mick's career with a magnifying glass, considering that I'm a huge Schumacher fan, as you can tell by, you know, you can tell by the wall art up there in particular, my shrine, if you like, to the great one. But um, it's a huge thing for Formula One to have a Schumacher back on the grid. And Haas in particular, for obvious reasons of late, a lot of negative press has been thrown their way. And I think Mick has been fortunate enough to try and stay away from that as much as he can. And I think he will continue to try to do that. It's almost as if we're going to see two Haas teams this season. One, the team back in Schumacher and two, the other guy um, that we're not going to mention. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm not going to talk about him. I've already made my piece on that. But um, uh, yeah, and this synergy that they're going to be developing with Ferrari, as I said already, Ferrari are going to be allocating staff to work at a new facility that they're constructing for the Haas team to have their technical partnership there, uh, which is going to be a great thing for the Haas team in Formula 1. They're going to have a much closer working relationship with Ferrari within the rules, and a lot of personnel is going to be moving over to the Haas team to support that from Ferrari. And this kind of benefits the rules because what this does with the cost cap, meaning that Haas will have budget to spend on these new staff and Ferrari will have to get rid of some staff to satisfy their costs, uh, costing needs. Because of course they'll have to bring their cost and Haas's will have to go up to meet that new cap. So all of this kind of serves the Schumacher project, if you like, where over the next couple of seasons, I don't expect Mick Schumacher to be in Formula One for a short time. I expect at least for a few seasons to see how this goes. Um, I don't think Ferrari have got any plans to fast track him into their senior team. I think they're pretty happy with Charles Leclerc obviously being the team leader and Carlos signs what he's going to be doing, which I'm very excited about uh, as a Ferrari fan. I'm sure Ferrari are too. But the next couple of years is going to be about seeing Mick Schumacher developing in Formula One, what he's capable of, what he's strong at, what perhaps he needs to work on. One area in particular, his qualifying pace, I've always felt has been something he's needed to work on. Uh, He never even got on the front row of any race, uh, any feature race in an F2 grid in the two seasons he was in it. And considering he won the championship, that's quite a telling stat. His race pace has been very good, particularly this season. He was fantastic. He got 10 podiums and the race in Bahrain where he had to, you know, start from the back and overtake cars to the point where he nearly, you know, got into the top four was incredible. Arguably one of the best performances put in all season. So, you know, there's a lot of good things about Mick. I think the second season syndrome that has been attributed to him in his Formula 3 and Formula 2 days where Mick obviously struggles in the first season, you know, he makes mistakes, he wastes opportunities. He's okay. He's still got pace, but it takes him a while to build that up over the course of the weekend. Whereas by the end of it, he's as quick as anybody in the second season in his F3 and F2 campaigns, he starts off a little bit sluggish, but as the season goes on, you start to see the real pace consistency and maturity in his driving. And there's been aggressive elements, um, hallmarks to his dad's, abilities as well that I'm sure plenty of people that haven't already seen Mick Schumacher will certainly get to know a lot more about I'm hoping with this partnership with Haas and Ferrari that 
it will not only allow Mick to continue with his development, but it will also allow Haas to improve their car to a degree where we're going to be seeing Mick Schumacher racing, not necessarily at the front, but perhaps competing for the odd point here or there and start to test his metal against some of the more established drivers on the grid, which, you know, that's what Ferrari will want to see in this guy. I'm pretty sure their ambition long-term would be to have another Schumacher in a Ferrari. I'm sure that'd be a fantastic thing to see. But I know for a fact Ferrari are not going to give him that based on who his dad is. They will need to see that he can do it and that he can earn it on merit. So lots of good things to see. And uh, I can't wait to see it. And, uh, you know, Mick certainly earned his spot on this grid. I can't wait to see how he does. It's going to be fun. Yeah, with the uh, with the development of the, uh, the Haas team, I'm sure a lot of Ferrari fans and Schumacher fans out there will be hoping that they will give him a car similar to the one that Alfa Romeo gave Charles Leclerc. Now, when, when Leclerc raced for them, we, we saw some great performances, not only in qualifying, but in the races. He, he picked up points. He had no right to win. And this is a thing with some of these drivers coming through. And I think when you look at George Russell, for example, one of the biggest frustrations has been, we, we know how good this guy is. He hasn't been given a car to give him what he, what he needs to show what he can do. And this is what we want to see. So hopefully Haas are given, you know, give him the car that he needs because it's, it's interesting. Like I'm, I'm very curious to see how it gets on. I'm sure a lot of people are. Um, but right now we're talking about the future of Ferrari. Let's, let's uh, go back to the past of Ferrari. And that is Sebastian Vettel joins Aston Martin next season. Um, we just saw recently, just before we went on air, Adam, um, it looks like they're going to be putting out a livery reveal on the uh, on New Year's Day. Gives mm. us something to uh, talk about on New Year's Day. It's going to probably be boring for us, but it's going to give us something. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's the uh, old style Aston Martin racing green. I think that's what a lot of us are hoping and thinking. That's what's being advertised, be. yeah. So I'm hoping that they're going to follow through with that. I know one of the leading sponsors, BWT, for Racing Point, were quite adamant on maintaining some pink on that car. For me, I, I'm not really a fan of that. I, I think the Pink Panther theme was great as a standalone, but if you stick British Racing Green on that car, the last yeah. thing I want to be seeing is putting pink on there as well. It's just going to look disgusting. So, you know, with respect to BWT, I, I think hopefully they'll come to a compromise so that they can continue to be the sponsors on that car, but just not having the pink. Cause that's got to be green British racing green. There's literally nothing like it on an Aston Martin. So yeah. Yeah. going to be good. It's going to be fun. That's what we're, we like. That's, uh, that's what we are really hoping for. I think, I think if they, if they get this right and they get the design of the car right as well, we could be looking at one of the most beautiful cars. We're, we're, we're going off on a nerdy tangent here. Let's get back to the actual go, team. Oh, and British racing green. <laughs> 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 nerdy, nerdy, nerdy orgasms. Let's stop. Let's stop. I mean, look at the shirt I'm wearing, guys. It just says it all, doesn't it? That's it. <laughs> We're, we're doing a Formula One podcast. I think they expected a certain element of nerdiness. I think we can get away with this. But yeah, Sebastian Vettel's moved to Aston Martin, Adam. Let's, let's talk about let's talk about that. And I'm going to go back a few years and talk about Sebastian Vettel. Now, I was a little bit of a Sebastian Vettel hater. I, I didn't like his dominance of Formula One. Bit rich coming from a Mercedes. Just have a fan. I know. I feel like a bit of a hypocrite now. But in the past couple of seasons, particularly last season, 
I think we've got to know Sebastian Vettel more as a driver. I think it's in, in the tougher times, you get to know these people a little bit more. You get to see a different side to them. And for me, I, I, I went from laughing at his misfortune in the 2017-2018 seasons to almost feeling sorry for this guy. And I, I'm actually really pleased that he left Ferrari and he's going to be given a, a, a chance at a team that are a decent team. They've got a lot of ambition going into the future, you know, and they've taken on a multiple world champion to hopefully spearhead them being more competitive at the front. And I just really want this move to work for Seb. I, I feel he still does have a lot to offer and I feel this will give him a new sense of meaning, purpose, because it doesn't matter how... It doesn't matter how you are something you always need a sense of purpose to make you do very well and take yourself to the next level how do you reckon you'll get on uh aston martin adam um there are mixed beliefs on how you'll get on um but yeah do, do let me know what you think adam um i'm sure you have a similar feelings as i do when it comes to seb well i think the good news is that we saw this in 2013 uh, sorry, no, 2013, 2014, when he struggled in the Red Bull. And that, mm. you know, there were highlighted issues with that car that he struggled to get on top of. And uh, his teammate, Daniel Ricciardo, who was more used to driving a less downforce car in the Toro Rosso, was able to get on top of. In, in the same way that Charles Leclerc has been in the Ferrari. You know, some of these modern drivers have more adaptive driving styles that they can work around. Whereas these cars are so complicated compared to how they used to be. You can't really drive around these issues. You have to adjust your style to match it. Sebastian's not been able to do that. It's something that a lot of veteran F1 fans will know about Seb Vettel, that he's the sort of guy that if he has the right car set up the right way in the way that he absolutely loves to drive it, he will be as fast as anybody. And I mean anybody with this. I don't understate that at all. This season we've seen in perhaps the worst way possible how a poor car, a one that's not very drivable and doesn't give the car much the driver much confidence particularly at the rear end can really impact on Seb Vettel's driving style Ferrari so you know given that we've seen this before at Red Bull I don't believe that he's going to come to this Aston Martin team with all the hopes in the world bear in mind Aston Martin had to bin off Sergio Perez to get Vettel win a year earlier uh, than Perez would have liked although it did work out well for him in the end Um, I don't think he's going to turn up turn the wheel and all of a sudden Seb Vettel is still struggling compared to Lance Stroll, let alone the ultimate pace of this Aston Martin car, whatever that would be. So I think you're going to start to see, hopefully, more of the Seb that we saw in 2015, you know, is a lot more exuberant, a lot more enthusiastic about this project that he's born into because it's a few years he's going to be with them. And I think Aston Martin in particular are going to be doing everything that they can to cater to what Seb needs. And bear in mind, this car is very similar to the Mercedes W10, you know, from last, you know, from 2019. So given how that car is going to develop, um, you know, what they decide to do with it, I think it's going to go a long way to seeing, uh, to bringing out the best in Seb Vettel, this renewed passion, not to say he wasn't feeling that way at Ferrari, but there was a lot of reasons why Seb was struggling, not in just in the car, but outside the car at Ferrari. And I think, Bringing this refreshed mindset after the winter break, you know, Seb goes off and tends to his motorcycles at home, whatever he wants to do, you know, and that's fantastic. He'll come back with a renewed sense of purpose. And I think this car next season, hopefully, will allow Seb to drive more to the level that he was showing before. I don't expect to see 
Sebastian Vettel winning races in 2021. But I do expect to see Seb fighting more with the mid, the front guys in the midfield and p- potentially a podium as well. And I expect him to outperform Lance Stroll next season as well. Um, as good as Lance is, I just feel Seb is still at that elite level. And with the right tools, we can see a lot more of it. Um, and we only saw that in glimpses last season. So hopefully we can see more of the same from Seb. Yeah, towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the season, we saw a couple of glimpses. Maybe that sort of sense of optimism, looking to the future, gave him a little bit of a lift, and that certainly is a good sign going into next season. Um, I've, I think this this project will do him a lot of good. I think they're they're very ambitious. Um, they are hoping to be towards the front, and I think that's the kind of environment he needed to move to. So a lot of great points there, Adam. Um, but for the last point, let's talk about one of Sebastian Vettel's main rivals in the past, and that is Fernando Alonso making a return to Formula One, making his third, making a return to his, with his third term at, shall we say, Renault, because they're no longer known as Renault. They're, they're, they're now going to be known as Alpine. But this will be his third term. With the, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the blue this, Renault. This, oh, this is going. Uh, that's that's another one. That's another one though that might end up looking a a good livery on that one. So I'm looking forward to that. But going to be his third term with the Enstone based uh, Enstone based team. Um, we just we spoke about the testing that he done um, post season. That's that was our main talking point of the last episode. Again, do check it out. It does help us a lot. Make sure to leave a like there as well. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> back to Fernando. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because Formula One drivers that have taken a little bit of a break in the past have been a little bit sluggish. You know, you look at Michael Schumacher and uh, that's probably the main reference that we had. He, he had a couple of seasons away and he came back and he wasn't quite the same. What kind of hopes do you have for Fernando going into next season, Adam? Well, we talked about the development that Fernando was having and that he was being prepared as best as possible for the 2021 season. And we did that in last week's episode. So if you haven't seen it, boop, there's a the card up there. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's going to look so good on YouTube. But um, if you guys listening on podcasts, not watching on YouTube, you'll be like, what the hell is he talking about? I was like, you got to see it to believe it. But uh, anyway, with Fernando, as I said already, a lot has been made of his return. I think the fears are that could this potentially be similar to what Michael Schumacher did when he came back, when clearly he wasn't in the competitive mindset that he once was? Uh, I mean, Schumacher has always wanted to win. He's never wanted to lose, but it wasn't the same Michael Schumacher that left the sport, um, you know, for certain circumstances. And it was a long project for Mercedes, obviously, which they're reaping the benefits of now in, in Lewis Hamilton's hands. So that's always a good thing for them. But in Fernando Alonso's case, I don't believe that we're going to see the, Schumacher, the second coming of Alonso being the same way as Schumacher. I feel that Alonso is coming back because he wants to be back to compete. I don't think he's doing it for the fun of it. And I think if Renault got those sorts of vibes, I don't think they would have took him back. It is a marquee name back in Formula One, which will help with the Alpine branding. I mean, Alpine uh, as a car manufacturer is very much a specialist car manufacturer and they need something to sort of you know, promote their brand even more to step away from the proverbial... Uh, racing team but not necessarily a car manufacturer or at least a well-known one and you know they need to get out of that mantra and they need people to see them more for what they really are and Formula One is the best platform to allow that. Working with Renault 
as their exclusive engine supplier for the time being, as far as we know. We don't know what's going to happen with Red Bull post-2021. It's going to be a huge project for them that it will alleviate the burden financially and uh, resource-wise from Renault. Of course, Renault aren't completely stepping away. They are going to be still heavily involved. It's the same people, um, but it's mostly a bit about an Alpine racing team and a Renault engine as two separate entities working together on this one. So it will aid Fernando Alonso a lot. And I think Fernando has shown from his pace that we have seen, particularly in the young driver's test, that he is at least on the level of what Ricardo and Esteban Ocon were able to produce in the same car when he took out the 2020 Renault in the young driver test. So Alonso looks like he's ready. How much faster he can go and how much more he can learn from this car going forward is, you know, we don't know that yet. But I'm looking forward to seeing what Fernando can do. As you mentioned, Courtney, he's not looking to come back to Formula One just to comp- just to be there and take part. I think he's going to be very competitive. I'm looking forward to see what type of Fernando Alonso we're going to get. Are we going to get the one that we know and love that loves to ruffle feathers, be involved in the controversy and be as controversial on the track and bloody fast on the track uh, in, in the same way? Or are we going to see uh, a more fun-loving Fernando where he's a bit more, uh, how, should I, how should I put it, um, a bit more carefree? You know, I, I'm just enjoying every single moment of this because this is my last hurrah kind of thing. I don't want to see that. I'm in life. I don't want to see that. I want to see the Fernando Alonso that won two world championships that wrestled uh, the throne, if you like, from Michael Schumacher, rather the passing of the torch, wrestle it from him. And let's see how well they can do. I still think they're going to be challenging for a top three position. They did seem to fall away a little bit towards the end of last season. If Renault can make some serious gains, or Alpine, I should say, then we're certainly going to be in for an exciting ride. That midfield battle is going to be the most intriguing of them all. And it's yeah. going to be the same contenders as it was last season. Hopefully Alpha Tauri can be a bit more involved than they were. We'll have to see what Haas and Williams can do if they can join that fight. Boy, would that be fun. If uh, Williams in particular, if they can join that fight with George Russell as well. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I think Fernando's going to do well next season. I'm not expecting miracles, as I said before, but I would be very surprised if his return was in any way uh, ending the same way that Michael Schumacher's mm. did. I can't see that happening. I mean, they've put too much effort into this, surely. Do you know what? As he's explaining, like, the the return of Fernando Alonso, I was, I was having some thoughts. We haven't really seen some of these battles yet. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave these thoughts with you. We could be seeing Fernando Alonso against Charles Leclerc. Mm. Fernando Alonso against the, the young Spaniard. The, the, you could see the battle of the Spaniards between... Signs on Alonso. We haven't seen Alonso have some real battles with these younger drivers. This season could be the chance for us to see it. We're going to be seeing, in my eyes, I think he is a legend of Formula One. He, he offered, he was a guy dethroned Michael. He was a big, he was a part of the, the noughties era of Formula One and uh, the way he was with Ferrari. I consider him to be a big name of Formula One, both past, past and present. And we're going to be seeing we're going to be seeing a battle against some of these young drivers coming through. Like it just adds another element of excitement to this twenty twenty one season. I, I just think twenty twenty one is going to be exciting, not only from to say an everyday perspective of everything that's going on in the world, but this is going to be such a great season for Formula One. You know, particularly if Red Bull closer at the front, it offers so much and. We don't have long to wait. We have a couple of months before testing. 
I don't. I, I try not to hype this up too much, but I think next season could be a cracker. Now I'm going to hand over back to you, Adam. I hope I've done you proud. I'm going to hand your baby back to you. Back well, to Adam. <laughs> the way that you've handled this, Courtney, I don't think it's necessary to hand it back to me. I think you've done a fantastic job. So well done. And uh, yeah, let's throw in Thank the comments, you. guys, Thank how you I'm, think you did. I think you did a brilliant job. Considering, guys, we record this all in one big take. We don't edit this or anything like this. You know, it's the pressures of video podcasts. And I think some people have a luxury of recording. When we used to record podcasts, I should say, we had this luxury before we went video of, you know, if something was wrong, we'd edit it out, re-record something and put it back in as a snippet. And you guys have been none the wiser. But um, no, well done, Courtney. Brilliant job. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to get you hosting more of these episodes in the future rather than just me. I mean, you are my co-host after all. You're more than capable. (laughs) And uh, I mean, yeah. So um, yeah. Can I I actually, can I, Adam? Can I just quickly, as as I've done uh, a little bit more of the hosting, can I do the old YouTube plug thing? I've never done it before. But there was one thing I did (laughs) want to... No, no, that's great. There was one thing I did want to do first. Um, So... Go on, one, th- one thing I am looking forward to in particular next season is Sergio mm. Perez at Mexico, right? In front of his home fans in yeah. a car, which a lot of people will probably regard to be the favorite at the Mexican Grand Prix when we go back there. Mm. So um, yeah, that's going to be a thought. Because well. I thought about that today. I hadn't thought about this until now that... Sergio Perez is going to be in Red Bull, which has won at the Mexican Grand Prix. I think the last mm. few years it's been there. He's usually the favourite there. And I expect that to be the case again. Oh, Could you imagine, imagine in front of his state, the stadium section, in front of the home fans, Sergio Perez on the tops of the podium? They better, better, better not favour Max in that race. I don't think they will be. I do not think <laughs> no. they will be in that race. But um, yeah, that's going to be an absolute thought. I mean, and with the Alpine livery, if this is anything as good as the World Endurance Championship cars, then we're on to a winner there. I'm definitely looking forward to see what they do there. I'm hoping they stick true to their branding. But uh, knowing some of these teams when they come into Formula 1, they try to be completely audacious and exuberant and just go for something completely random. I mean, do you remember the BAR team, former Honda team? This is this is us showing our age, guys, mm. back in F1 history. For those of no. you that don't know, no. back in 1999, the BAR team, British American Racing, the abbreviation was for. And um, they had basically uh, two cars where they wanted to brand with separate liveries one a blue and yellow 555 number on it and the other one like red and white and they wanted to do this but then the FIA said to them they couldn't do this because they had to have one consistent livery they couldn't have both cars with different liveries so eventually what they did is they took half of one took half of the other and plotted it together and that's where you had the red and blue uh lucky strike slash 555 car for BAR so you know the more you know back then but um you know, there's some really crazy liveries and stuff like that. I always enjoy the testing liveries that Red Bull like to tease us with, and then they never bloody go out and use it. It really pisses me off when they do that to us. It's like the I don't worst, think you're the only one. Worst kind of cock tease going on, and I don't care. You know, I'm saying it as it is. That is literally <laughs> Red Bull doing that to you. It's terrible. Jesus anyway, <laughs> that's the only time you're going to hear me right. say that on this podcast. Make sure it's the last two. <laughs> but yeah, as as, as we've both said, I, I I really do believe that this season. I really do hope the crowds are back. I really do because they really do add a, a a good element to Formula. But I really do believe there is so much to look forward to, which leads me to our official DNF one YouTube plug. Now, please, everybody, make sure. You like the videos? 
it does us a lot of good. Please make sure you subscribe too. We've got we've got lofty ambitions going forward. We'd like to make money from this one day. So please help us get to our target of a thousand subscribers. And that's going to go towards fun. Yeah, that's going to go towards funding giveaways for you guys in the future. So that's this is, it. Yeah, it's all coming back to you. That's it. So no pressure, no pressure. Let's 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 get this channel out there because for some reason we're having difficulties with YouTube. I'm going to go into that too much. It's frustrating. So your help makes a big big difference and don't forget to click on that notification bell as well a lot of people forget about that that mm. helps you get notifications for our videos so please click on the like subscribe and notification bells really really does help us and we really do hope that you enjoy what we do because we really love doing this and it really has helped keep us sane in what has been an awful year wouldn't you agree adam more so than most, I, w- I would imagine. But uh, yeah, no, Courtney's absolutely right, guys. And there are a lot of you that do tune into this podcast regularly. So we do thank you for that, which means that, um, you know, you guys, there are some of you that haven't subscribed yet. So my question is, why haven't you done that yet? You know, it's the easy way to find you know out when we put new videos out. And we are going to be doing new stuff as well. We've got a great video coming out soon on Red Bull and uh, the issues with a young driver academy. I'm sure that's a talking point we're going to hear more about soon, but we figured we'd sort of get ahead of the curve if you like and uh, amongst other content we've got coming out as well we've got some great plans and 2020 has been a brilliant year for us with this podcast we never thought we'd be doing this after uh, a year or so I mean we haven't got to the year yet but we, w- we didn't think we'd be doing this after that time but you guys following us commenting on the videos offering your support and really buying into what we love to talk about I mean these this is our shared passion and the reason we do this is because we want to share our passion with you guys who you know, equally have that same passion as we do. And that's what it's all about. I mean, Courtney mentions the money stuff. Yeah, that's great. You know, but that's something professional YouTubers deal with and stuff that they, whatever, you know, we're not going to try, we're not asking you to make us like Mr. Beast or anything stupid like that. I mean, no, 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 no. You know, it's, it's funny talking on, on a separate side note before we end this. I mean, how many, I, I'm going to put this question to you guys. Any of you that follow Mr. Beast on tw- Twitter or YouTube or anything, how many of you actually try to enter his competition to see if he drops 10 grand in your bank accounts? Because I feel like... Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't see these winners. I'm not, not disputing what he does. Oh, no, no. I like, like to see them. I just find it mad that he goes and does these competitions. Like, we did a giveaway recently for thanking you guys for helping us reach 100 subs and getting one of our videos to 1,000 views, which is still mental, by the way, considering when we started this. Um, you know, and our prizes were a shirt and a mug and a couple of mugs, which, you know, our prize winners are enjoying, which is great to hear, you know. Um, so, you know, at least we're keeping our side of the bargain on that front. But, you know, we do that. And then Mr. Beast is like, who wants Ohio? I can give it to you in an hour. Follow me and tweet this. I'm like... <laughs> Or David uh, Dobrin, like gives his mates Lamborghinis or something like that. I was like, could you? I said that'd be the worst thing ever if someone gave you a Lamborghini like that and you couldn't afford the insurance and you couldn't sell it for whatever reasons. Why has no one brought him up on? We'll that? be giving away Lamborghinis soon, Adam. Don't worry. Mm. Yeah, but they're gonna be like the little toy ones <laughs> in the boxes, you know, like like ten yeah, pound exactly. out, ten pound in your local. Uh, high street shop anyway but anyway i'm getting completely sidetracked on this guys but please do subscribe to the channel we want to try and hit a thousand subs by the end of the year uh, not end of the year obviously uh, i mean if we did that'd be brilliant but end of 2021 and we know you guys you know that watch us these podcasts and follow us you know that don't already subscribe it's absolutely free to do that um all you're going to get is us spamming you with new content and videos and who doesn't want that eh? that's that's what we want 
So we'd love you to join our DNF1 family. Thank you so much for anyone that's tuned into our podcast, shared it with your friends or anything like that. You know, we absolutely love you for us. And we're going to continue to do this for many, many episodes to come. So we look forward to that. Yeah, not get, rid of, uh, get, not get rid of us anytime soon. Absolutely no not. That. Absolutely not. And uh, for, until then, guys, we hope you stay safe. We hope you had a wonderful holiday season and we hope you have a wonderful 2021. 2020 has been pretty shit. Hopefully we can all have a great 2021 together. And until then, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.